Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Yes, good to see you guys. It's not pouring rain like it was last week. We got some hail yesterday, uh, but it's sunny and beautiful today. Are you guys uh, grateful for spring now? Three of you are, three of you are. Today, tomorrow, it could be anything. It's kind of wintry this morning and spring, but today it's going to be beautiful. The Masters are on today. The Spurs won last night. Come on, y'all. There's good stuff going on around here. And Jesus is risen. Oh, by the way. Oh, by the way. Oh, by the way. So we're so glad you're here. Um, my name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. If you're a guest with us today, thank you so, so, so very much for being here. We are in a series called Chapter and Verse. And man, I don't know about you guys, uh, maybe you, you guys uh, don't love God's Word like I do, but this series has been absolutely uh, a blast for me, um, just kind of going through some of our favorite passages of Scripture and just kind of preaching verse by verse through them. Uh, if you missed last week, I, I don't like to toot my own horn, I'm not, I don't even, I'm not tooting my own horn, I just read the Psalm, Psalm 103. Uh, please go take a listen to that, uh, go to lifepointsa.com, go to iTunes, go to SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, go listen to that. Uh, we got it on Facebook, too. Check it out. I promise you um, it could just really give you hope and, and, and strength and encouragement. Um, and it's funny because all these texts I picked out, and I picked them out knowing they were my favorites, but I really didn't understand the connective tissue that was a part of all of them. And that was just, it, it was all about Jesus, and it was all about, um, it's, all, it's been all about the gospel and, and the gospel of grace and, and how how somebody like me um, can be loved so much by Jesus that he would come and die on a cross for me is still uh, an unbelievable thought for me. So um, this week, just real quick, I know you just heard this on the thing, um, but we, we got these cards in your chair, and these are not for our benefit. They're not like for decorations for the chairs, like to make the chairs look pretty. These are <laughs> these chairs are not pretty. We will have much better chairs in our new space, I promise you. Um, <clears throat> um, but these chairs are, are, are here, and they belong to this building, and so we're going to just leave them here and go get some new ones. Amen, somebody. Um, so <clears throat> these are for you to take, and we have a bunch more of them in the lobby. Uh, we'll have stacks of them. Take all of them if you want to. Pass them out to your friends and, 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 and give an invite. Here's what we know, that on Easter, this is the greatest opportunity that you and I have to reach our friends, our family, people who wouldn't normally go to church. Um, there's some data out there that suggests that they would are four times more likely to come to an Easter invite than they are to any other invitation that you might give all year long. I like those odds, so I'm just passing these out to anybody. You know, just be like flipping them out like a, like a Chinese throwing star, you know, back in the day, like in the 80s, anybody? Nobody knows that thing? Some of you are 80s people, you know a star like that. Just be, be, hand them out, and, and friends and family, and we got five opportunities. Listen, we're not adding services um, just so we can. We're adding services to make sure that there's room all throughout um, for people to come, for all of our church family to come, <clears throat> and to bring their friends. And then, of course, Friday night, Friday night is Good Friday, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion there in that service. We're going to extend the worship set because what else you got to do on a Friday night? I know you got plenty to do, but you, you'd rather be in God's house. I know, I know that about all of you. Uh, <clears throat> anyways, and it's going to be amazing. So uh, the worship team is going to sing some brand new music that you've never heard us at least do. Uh, and the song that we're going to open the service with is just straight, straight fire. You know what I'm saying? Fire. And, and it's going to be awesome. So in the middle of that, uh, do your best to get somebody here and it'll be great. Um, today we're studying the book of Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 
I'm going to read a verse before you, as you're doing that. This is, um, this is a foundational text here, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. The Bible says that salvation is found in no one else. Now that, that sentence right there rubs a lot of people in this world wrong. Salvation, because we live in a pluralistic society which would say that there's all sorts of ways to get to God, and yet Jesus would say, absolutely there is not any other way. Uh, For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Can I get a good amen, somebody? The Bible says that nobody comes to the Father um, but through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the light, and nobody's going to heaven except through me. That's, just, that's the word of God. And if you're a Christian and you believe the word of God, this is what we're saying, that Jesus was not just another man. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't just another good person. He wasn't just a good teacher. He was the Savior. He is the Savior of the world. And nobody comes to, to the Father but through Jesus. So I want to start this message off today. And I've done this little bit right here before, um, but I'm going to do it again because it helps me set up the message today. But by, I want to I start off the message by talking about my own name. My name is Daniel Troy, yes, Troy, uh, Rivers. Like most of you don't want people to know your middle name. I just threw it out there, and now you know. What's the T for? It's for Troy, all right? I, I'm not sure why my name is that, except my mother liked the name Troy from some friend of hers who named her son that. Um, I, I was, according to my parents, an oops baby. Um, some of y'all know what that feels like. Uh, they were like, what? We're pregnant? Uh, oh, well, how about that? You know, and dad's like, oh, I can't afford that kid. Anyways, they were hoping for a girl um, that they were going to name Bethany. But when I came out, clearly I wasn't Bethany. And so now I'm Daniel. That's my name. All right. My, my identity is tied up in that name, not, not in a spiritual sense, but in a literal sense. If they say, is there a rivers here? Present. You know what I'm saying? Present. That's me. My, my credibility, my reputation is in my name. My authority is in that name. When, when we bought our house and cars, um, I signed my name like a thousand times, uh, giving them authority to make that transaction. Uh, some of you may have received a Facebook message saying that I've requested that you give us Google gift cards. That's not me. That's somebody else. Interp- I just need to say that out publicly, right? Because I got some emails, hey, how much do you want from, our, from these gift cards? I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, we got an email from your email saying that you're requesting gift cards. That wasn't me. Somebody's faking me, all right? I would never do that, by the way. Some of you are like, what? Did you? I hope you all didn't buy any of those. I uh, got multiple people that said that. Uh, so anyways, I didn't do that. Um, that. That's my name, Daniel Rivers. My family carries that name. My girls will until, I don't know, 35, and then I release them. <laughs> To be married to somebody of my choosing. Um, come on, dads. My, my, my legacy is in that name, Daniel. You know, it means God is my judge. So all my life I've been like going, oh, man, come on. Why couldn't I be named like God is my friend? Why has he got to be my judge? You know, anyways, but that's, that's, that's what my mom named me. It's a solid name. It, it has limitations, right? It won't get me everywhere. Uh, it won't get me in to see the president. It won't get me backstage at a good concert. I, even a bad concert, it won't get me out of concert, right? It won't get me invited to exclusive events. It has limitations, right? And sometimes as believers, um, we can learn to live within the limitations of our own name, our own capacity, our own power, 
um, just settle in for whatever my name can get me in life without realizing that there is another name that has hope and restoration and power that is way beyond, way beyond my own name. Can I get a good amen, somebody, right? We're talking today about the name of Jesus, that there is no name higher, that there is no name greater than the name of Jesus, that there is no power on earth, the Bible says, greater than the power that is in the name of Jesus. So I just want to lift him high on this Palm Sunday. Um, that's what happened uh, on Palm Sunday. You read the text and they, he came walking in on a donkey and they were waving palm branches and they were singing Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it was just salvation, salvation, salvation is here. That's what that, that, that means. And so that's what we're going to do today. And this is sort of a Palm Sunday Good Friday message all commingled together into the book of Philippians. All right, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, context, real quick. Paul is writing Philippians chapter 2 in response to some news that he has that there are two women in the church which are at war with each other. And they are creating disunity and they are fighting for power and preeminence. And so he writes them this text. Um, so that when we read this text, you need to know that's the context. But it's like in the middle of this, by the way, guys, you know, you guys should be more like Jesus. He goes off into this, these, these four or five verses here that are just, uh, just breathtaking in, in their scope, their Christology uh, of who Jesus is. So that's the context. Verse 5. So he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, meaning he's God, right? In the, he did not consider equality with God something to be used. Some texts say that he, he didn't consider them to be something to be grasped, um, to, to be used to his own advantage. Rather, verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. I want to unpack this for a little while. The great God of heaven came down to this earth in the form of a baby, in the person of a baby named Jesus, and he made himself nothing, right? He wasn't born in a fancy palace. He wasn't born with angels blowing trumpets. He was born in a barn, essentially in a manger, which was the thing that they used to feed, put the hay in. Um, and the literal meaning of, of this when he says he made himself nothing is he emptied himself. He, 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 he doesn't empty himself of his deity, but to it he adds slavery. And I'll explain that in a minute. He doesn't subtract his divine nature because he's both God and man. He just adds his human nature. And this is what is happening in that manger scene in Bethlehem. I want you to think about Mary holding that little baby in her arms, this helpless, this dependent, this vulnerable-seeming uh, baby. But that baby, inside of that baby, is the eternal God who at that very same moment that he's nursing at his mother's breast is upholding, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, upholding the universe by the word uh, of his power. Literally, that all of the, 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 the stars and the moon and all of the galaxies and that black hole we found out about this week, all of that, while he's there as a tiny baby, is being upheld by the word of his own power. That's what's going on inside that baby. Right? It's not, oh, sweet six-pound, eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus. 
It's the, it's the guy who's upholding the whole universe by the word of his power. It's crazy. And so Paul is, is setting up for us this idea that there is nobody who has ever shown more humility than Jesus. And he demonstrated us, this is what Paul is saying for us in something that we call the incarnation. Now, I've said this before, but it's just too good not to say again. It just means that God became a man. The root word of incarnation is carne. Now, how many of you guys know what carne is? It's meat, right? Carne guisada in big red at the marriage supper of the lamb will be there, right? So quite literally, Jesus is God with meat, right? Proof that God is not a vegetarian. All the men said amen. A little redneck theology for you right there, all right? But, but we have to understand exactly what was happening when Jesus came down here. Because like, like this week, as I began to just do my research on this text again, fresh and new, man, it came to me so powerfully that at times during this week in awkward places, I would just begin to weep like I couldn't believe it. That, that creator put himself into creation, right? Timeless and eternal enters into time and, be, and becomes subject to time. Seated on a throne, chooses to be born in a barn. Surrounded by angels singing his praises, day and night chooses to come to earth to be surrounded by people who despised, rejected, and ultimately killed him. This was the decision that he made. He's living in the richness and the splendor of heaven, and he chose to come a, 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 into poverty and homelessness and to suffer as the man of sorrows. This is what Paul is trying to convey, that, that, that Jesus came to this earth, <clears throat> and he veiled his power and his glory for the most part from the people. They had no idea who it was that was walking, that he lived a fully human life all the while maintaining his his godness. I just made that word up. He was Emmanuel, God with us, but he doesn't use those attributes to his own advantage, Paul says. He says in verse 7, rather than use his godness to sort of get himself ahead, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He can make himself, when he shows up here, whatever he chooses, and yet Paul says that he made himself nothing by becoming, the, the translation here is servant, but it's not servant. Actually, the word is doulos, and doulos means slave, right? He made himself a slave. Like, imagine that. Imagine that you could be you, and you could turn yourself into anybody that you wanted to. What do you choose? Like, president, you know, king, you know, some sort of rock star, movie star, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Oprah. You know, like, some of you have an Oprah, like, and you get a car, and you get a car. Like, you want to do that one day? Or, or, or slave. Like, this is the options. And Jesus, our example, chooses slave, which is just amazing. I'll say this one last thing on this point, and then I'll, I'll move on. I can't get over this. He voluntarily gave up the outward appearance of the manifestation of his glory. Do, do you remember, those of you who understand the Bible or know the Bible, do you remember when Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments? And when he comes back down from the mountain, his face is glowing from being in proximity to God. He had to put a veil, the Bible says, over his face because of the radiant splendor emanating from him. This just by being in proximity um, to God. So, so in the 
person of Jesus, God veils his glory in human flesh. That same glory that Isaiah was too terrible to look at, like it was too like overwhelming to look at, the same glory that would kill a human being for seeing it straight on is voluntarily hid inside of Jesus for 33 years as Christ served this world. And people didn't see him for what he was. And they still don't. They missed the glory and saw just a man. And yet it says that heaven, there will be no sun there. Why? Because the light of his glory is so great that it will be the only light that we will ever need. That's how bright his glory is. And, and this is what he laid aside. And yet, we, when we go with Peter and James and John to the Mount of Transfiguration, M- Matthew chapter 17, the Bible says there he was transfigured before them, meaning that glory, that glory started to come out of him. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. In that moment, he allows this glory to be revealed, and it bursts out of his being so that they saw him in all of his glory. And every now and then, a glimpse of the power and the majesty of God inside of, of Jesus would burst forth because there's nobody that's ever been like Jesus. Can I get an amen, right? R- remember the story in the New Testament in Mark where, where, where Jesus comes up on this guy who has a, a demon thing going on inside of him and he's going to cast out the demon from him and the demon starts to talk to Jesus. And oh, by the way, th- there's another side to Jesus. Sometimes he has to show up and display his power. And this demon starts to talk to him. M- most of us have never been down that road. Can we say an amen on that? Like, like okay, I don't want that to happen, right? And, 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 and most of us have never walked on the water or had demons talking to us. There's something about him that some of us want to go, oh, me and Jesus are like this, right? But like, like he's, on a, he's on a whole never level. Can I say it like that? Like, he, he's different than us. The demon knows him, and, 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 and Jesus doesn't have to say, what's your name? I'm Jesus. We're going to do some business right now. He doesn't have to tell him his name, because as soon as Jesus walks up, the evil spirit cries out, I know who you are, right? Well, that, that's powerful. And so the spirit spoke to Jesus and said, I know who you are. Have you come to torment us? And, 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 and the demon finishes with this. He can't help himself. You are the Holy One of God. Right, this is what's going on. There are limitations to our names, but there is no limit to the power of Jesus' name. And that's why I'm uninterested in building a sort of little mini kingdom in my own name uh, called Life Point Church. There, there is no real power there. But, but, but all power in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. All the authority has been given to Jesus. So such that while he's walking the earth, blind men received their sight and crippled people walked and dead people came back to life and demon possessed people were set free and diseased people were made well all in the name of Jesus and that's why on Palm Sunday the crowds cried out Hosanna Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord so Paul goes on verse 8 I hope you're taking some notes because if you're not you're missing some good stuff today I promise you we're going to get somewhere here verse 8 and being found in appearance as a man meaning when you looked at him he's a man he humbled himself And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says even even the death on a cross. There should be like an exclamation point at that at this point. And as I begin to study that right there this week, as I begin to look at this text, even the death of a cross, there there should be something in us that, that gasps at that, that Jesus Christ. From the riches and the splendor of heaven, the Son of God comes down to this earth and dies the the most shameful, 
the most horrific death on a cross, even the death on a cross that he humbled himself. Who did? God in flesh, terrifying glory made accessible in human form that God came near, that God is with us, that God in the form of a slave, not, not just a servant, but, but one who was willing to die in the worst way possible, stripped down naked on a cross in front of the masses, crown of thorns pressed to into his, bow, his brow, back ripped open, dried, spit on his body in places, scorned and and mocked and shamed. He dies the most humble, uh, a humble death possible. This is what Paul is saying here. A any other death, any other death might retain some semblance of dignity and worthiness in, in the eyes of the ancient world, but never, never crucifixion. L let me try to put this in our context. If, if, if you were to say about your father or your son or your brother, he, he died in battle for our country. There's honor there. And even in the horrifying reality of, of death like that, there's a, there's a kind of triumph and a, and a glory. But to say even the death of a cross is like saying in our day, how did your son die? My son died of, of lethal injection. He died in an, an electric chair. Everybody knows what that means. He's a criminal. Not, not only was he a criminal, but he was the worst kind of criminal. That, that is what is implicit in the phrase, even the death of a cross. Shame, dishonor, disrespect. To, to the Jewish mind, this was inconceivable because Deuteronomy 21 says that cursed is, is everyone who hangs upon the tree. Like there's a curse placed upon anybody who is hung from a tree, from, 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 from branches like Jesus was. Every shred, every last shred of dignity was torn from him, even the death of a cross. Down comes deity into humanity. Not just into humanity, but into slavery, into servitude for us. And not just into slavery, down comes deity into death. Even the unspeakable, shameful death, the cursed death, the death that proclaims this one bears the condemnation and the wrath both of God and man. Down comes deity into the death of a cross. Do you know what that means? It means that there is no death deeper than the abyss of the cross, enduring unimaginable agony of body, the rejection of his own people, the silence of the Father, the full weight of, his, of our sins laid upon his shoulders, the white-hot fury of heaven's justice that is due our rebellion, pressing down on him. Jesus plums the depths of pain and humiliation and abandonment and rejection and grief. He goes all the way down to the very bottom. There may be regions of, realms of, of suffering and sorrow and grief and pain in your heart so profound that you can barely acknowledge them as you just try day by day to keep your head above water. Pain so deep that you think nobody will ever understand except Jesus. There, there is no darkness so black that the light of his face cannot find you. This is what this means. There are no depths into which you may ever descend that you will not be able to find comfort from him there in your sorrows. Like, I don't know how lonely you might feel right now, but he does. I, I don't know what kind of shame you might feel about your past, but he's felt unimaginable shame and condemnation as he hung there naked on that cross. 
I don't know what you're dealing with, but he does. He knows. Listen to me. He knows. He knows. He plumbed the depths of shame and pain and humiliation. This is what Paul is saying. He knows, and he is here in this space, in this room. Now, why, why does he do all of this? Simple answer, love. L- love for you. L- love for me. Love for lost and dying humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life for your sake and for mine. He came all the way down to the depths. But Paul isn't done because he didn't stay on that cross. Amen, somebody? And he didn't stay in that tomb and he isn't still humbled and a slave for our sakes. He's already run that race and now Paul says that his humiliation is giving way to his glorification, to his exaltation. Verse nine, therefore, in light of all of that, and, and, and whenever we see the word therefore in the text, we always say, what's it there for? It's there to remind us of what just came first. Therefore, in light of the fact that he came all the way down, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name right God has highly exalted him he was exalted when the stone was rolled away and the unbelieving guards fell to the ground as though they were dead right he was exalted when Mary's tears in the garden were turned from grief to joy as she hears her master's greetings and she bends her knees and kisses his feet in adoration God exalted him when doubting Thomas in in an upper room sees the nail marks in his hands and feet and the wound in his sides and he bows his knees and his tongue confesses my Lord and my God, because he didn't believe before that. God highly exalted him when, the, when he sent the church out into the world, said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. All authority has been given him. God highly exalted him when before the eyes of, of 500 disciples, he ascended into glory. And there he sits now, the Bible says, exalted above every name, enthroned as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there he will, he will remain reigning because Isaiah said, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Amen. Amen. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess or acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I want you to picture something with me just for a moment. Matthew chapter 25, there's this incredible description of that last day when all of humanity from Adam until that final day dawns, every person, every human being that's ever lived is gathered in one place around the throne of God and of the Lamb. A vast multitude filling um, the limits of our horizon. We can't see the end of it. But the Bible says that there is a great division that gets made there in that space, in that moment. That there are those who are put to the left, the Bible says, who refuse to bend the knee in life, in their life to Jesus Christ. Those who rebelled and lived as though they were the king and God of their own world and not trusted in the gospel of grace. They will hear the sentence, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, and they will be sentenced to outer darkness, the Bible says. But then, then, the, on the other side, there will be those who, who embraced the name of Jesus, who embraced the cross, who embraced his mercy, who believed the gospel, who gladly bent their knee and confessed him as Lord, and they are bidden into the joy of the Lord forever. But before this great division is made from the throne, from the throne of God, God comes one name 
from somewhere. The name of Jesus is called out. And from the epicenter of that throne, all across that mass of humanity, there is a mighty wave that sweeps downward. And every single knee buckles under the weight and of the glory of the name of Jesus. And every tongue will begin to confess aloud, whether in joyful gladness or shame and horror that they missed it. Every tongue will confess his majesty, his power, his lordship. He is and he will be exalted because he made that downward descent into this place that we call earth. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, like if you don't know who God is, his revealed New Testament, new covenant name is Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the singular, only Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, and if today you and I were to glimpse Jesus, we would see him exalted in glory. We would see him as Revelation does, seated upon a throne, ruling over angels and, and demons and men and women and the young and the old and the rich and the poor and the brown and the black and the white and, and the foolish and the simple all over all. High and low. We would see him exalted. We'd see him lifted up. I want you to see the exaltation of Jesus the way that John saw it. He, he gives us a glimpse into what's going on in heaven right now. Right now in this space. Right now in this moment. As we sit in this room in heaven, John says, uh, we, and we find this dilemma in Revelation chapter 5. He says, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. With writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under, under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And that's a problem because in that scroll was contained the, the, the unfolding of the end of the ages. It's the climax of God's redemptive salvation plan. It's the way he's going to banish Satan into hell forever. It's the way he's going to lift us up. And, and, and the Bible says and he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more death. No more sorrow. No more sickness. No more pain. No more depression. No more anxiety. And it's in this scroll. All of this story is in this scroll, but nobody can open it. And John, he says, starts to weep because there's a story, but nobody can open the story. There's a victory coming, but nobody can unlock the, the, the victory. And there's a pause in heaven. And then somebody steps forward. And, and we see that happen in verse 6. And he says, I saw a lamb looking as if he'd been slain. By the way, that's past tense. This is Jesus, by the way. He takes the scroll. And when he does, everybody, when he takes the scroll out of the right hand of he who sat on the throne... Everybody goes down, the living creatures, the elders, the angels, everybody goes face down, bowing down, and they sang a new song, verse 9, that says, you are worthy, and they're talking about Jesus now, to take the scroll, to open its seals. How are you worthy? Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. It's an unbelievable scene right here. Nobody's, nobody's worthy enough to open a scroll but the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world steps up and says, give that scroll to me. You know, Revelation 8.1 says that there will be 
30 minutes of silence in heaven. Can I just talk to you about the greatness of Jesus for a few more moments? That there'll be 30 minutes of silence in heaven. Why is that? Nobody knows for sure. But in my own imagination, I have to think that, that this is the bride of, that as the bride of Christ, when we get our first glimpse of Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who came down, made that awful descent the way he did, the one who shed his blood for us, that, that the one who our souls have been longing to see all along, we didn't even know it. Maybe there's 30 minutes of silence because for the first time we see the greatness of our God and we are left with nothing to say. We are stunned into silence. I I think that collectively we will have nothing to say in that moment, but in our minds, you are the most amazing thing I have ever seen, and you are stunning. In fact, you're scaring all of us to death right now because of your beauty and because of your splendor, because of your blinding radiance, because there is no one like Jesus. That heaven, the Bible says, is lit up by Jesus. That's how bright he is. And his pure radiance is all the light that we'll ever need there. That there is no hint of darkness in in, in heaven. There is no hint of immorality or scandalous talk. Nothing less than the beauty and the radiance of God. And maybe we stand there for 30 minutes, jaws drop to the floor. As we look around and we see what John the Revelator saw. The city that's 1,500 miles tall. The the city that's 1,500 miles wide. The city that's 1,500 miles deep. And tentatively claps begin to to happen. And streets of gold and jasper walls. Are you kidding me? A crystal river. You, You can feel the tension rise. You can feel it now palpably. But then when our eyes fix on the object of our affection, the Lamb of God, when we find our collective voices, the Bible says there's gonna be a shout that like the world has never heard before. Voices raised in unison, the largest choir ever assembled on in anywhere, all singing a new song to Jesus Christ, lifting an anthem of worship unto the only one who was worthy to open that scroll. And nobody's sitting there with arms crossed and skeptical, and nobody's looking at anybody like they're crazy or weird. Everybody is just full on, on their knees, arms high, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Verse 11 picks it up for us. Then I looked, John said, says, and heard the voices of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. That's a lot of angels. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang, and we're part of this this choir, by the way, y'all. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. Are you catching this right by? This is big than any crowd that's ever been formed in history. This is bigger than U2, Taylor Swift, the Super Bowl. This is bigger than all that. And, they're, and, and this is the, how they finish this song. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And why is everybody singing this song? Because he's a worthy God. Amen. As a result of what Jesus has done, that downward act into poverty, and shame, and slavery, all so that we might have life because of that God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every other name. All of heaven and every person and every tribe and every language and every people group will be gathered there singing this name, this song that David prophesied about in the Psalms. I'm not sure what your perspective is right now, 
You might think that we're crazy for clapping our hands and lifting our hands in worship. But in that place, it's pretty clear that he's a worthy God and everybody's doing the same thing and everybody's saying worthy because there's nobody like Jesus. There is no name above Jesus' name. There is no power like the name of Jesus. There is healing in the name of Jesus. There is deliverance in the name of Jesus. There is salvation in the name of Jesus. And there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. And this is why we say here that at LifePoint, everybody's welcome and nobody's perfect but with Jesus Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Here's my prayer for all of you and for all the people that you may invite this week. I hope that when that day happens, when there's that great division that Matthew writes about, prophesies about in chapter 25, that that's not the first time we see how great our God is. That that's not the very first time that we bow our knees and say, Jesus is Lord. My hope and my prayer is that everybody in this room, long before that day ever arises, would bow their knees to Jesus and ask him and proclaim him the Lord of your life. To proclaim him the master, the savior of your life. Because there is a division coming, guys. People don't like to preach about this anymore in the modern church, but there is a division coming. There are two, two locations that we all end up at. And my prayer for you is that you realize the greatness, the power, the majesty of the name of Jesus. You realize the sacrifice that was done on your behalf, on my behalf, so that we could have life. And all I gotta do is say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again. I I ask you to come live in me. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to be the forgiver of my sin, to be the Lord of my life because of who you are, because of what you've done. The band's gonna come back and sing that new song we just taught you. Matter of fact, why don't you stand with me real quick? I'm gonna have you sit down in a minute again, but stand with me for just a second. I just want you to know. I want you to know in this space today. I don't care if you've come in here with a sickness. I don't care if you've come in here with fear. I don't care if you've come in here with sin in your life. I don't care what your story is. With Jesus, anything is possible. That with Jesus, he does wonderful things. That with Jesus, there is nothing in your life that can't happen in this place today. There's nothing that can't happen in your life. Whatever you have need of, whatever's going on in your life, whatever challenges you're faced with, I want you to bring them to Jesus because there is nobody like him, somebody. Come on, somebody. There is nobody like Jesus. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.